When we want to serve God and love God and respond to the gospel in good works and sanctification, we don't exit away from this world, we enter back into it. Welcome to the Essentially Translatable Podcast, brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. I'm Richard Oski. And I'm Emily Wilson. And you can tell by my voice that I'm a little under the weather, but that's why Rich took over this particular interview, so that you didn't have to hear this for, (laughs) you know, 45 minutes. But it is also New Year's, so we want to say Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Welcome. We are stepping lively into 2024. And as we step into 2024, uh, tell the folks a little bit about what's on your mind for moving into the new year. So as you all know, for Giving Tuesday, we focused in on prayer partnership Mm -hmm. because prayer is the strategy for Bible translation ministry, having God's word reach out into the nations in every language. And so we want to encourage you that... It's not too late for you to become a prayer partner. So if you would sign up on our website, lbt.org, you can become a prayer partner today and receive a prayer calendar for each day of the month. There's a different prayer request from a missionary partner or a staff member program. So I want to encourage you to get involved in praying for the organization is so enriching to walk alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ and to to pray for one another. And we are rolling into the final year of the More Than Words campaign for Scripture Impact. We had a great event back last October at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., and one of our speakers was today's guest, Dr. Jeff Leininger. And we're going to talk with him about Callings for Life. Uh, That's the title of his book, but also just a really nicely done, accessible conversation about God's callings on our lives. Dr. Jeff Leininger is a pastor at First St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Chicago. He served for 21 years as the campus pastor and director for pre-seminary program at Concordia University in Chicago. He's got a background in theater and uh, did his doctoral work on the English Reformation He's a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Jeff Leininger. This morning, we're talking with Pastor Jeff Leininger, longtime Bible translation advocate and a proponent of the work of Lutheran Bible translators, and he uh, recently was part of our More Than Words gathering in Washington, D.C., where he talked about callings for life, and he's the author of the book by the same title, and so we are going to dig into that a little bit. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rich. I'm so glad to be here with you, and I'm really glad to be supporting the work of Lutheran Bible Translators. So uh, tell us a little bit about your background first, so our uh, audience can get to know you, and where you came from, and how you've been serving all these years. Originally from a place called Minnesota. Yeah, sure, you betcha. Grew up in the Twin Cities, uh, St. Paul area, and my dad was at Concordia St. Paul. So I went through Lutheran schools uh, throughout my time in, in Minnesota, including going to Concordia St. Paul. And I was uh, a theater major and very involved in music, uh, but also did pre-seminary studies. After my time at Concordia St. Paul, I spent a little bit of time in, in theater, working in theater, and then uh, eventually get, made my way to Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. And during that time, uh, pretty inf- formative year for me was spending a year over in Cambridge, England at Westfield House, which is a little Lutheran college uh, seminary there and uh, overseas 
program there really opened up my eyes to uh, global Christian witness and global Lutheranism. Also got me interested in more graduate work, so I returned to the University of Cambridge uh, with my wife, Rachel, and we spent the first six years of our married life on this wonderful rainy island in England and um, did a, a master's and a PhD there. My area of specialty is the English Reformation and the use of plays or theater in the English Reformation. First call back to the United States was to Concordia, Chicago, then River Forest. It's still in River Forest. And for 21 years, I was the campus pastor and the director of the pre-seminary program, and then supported the university's church relations and was very much a part of that place. And just more recently, had this nudge and call from the Spirit to get back into traditional parish life. And so I've just been for a few months the pastor at First St. Paul's Lutheran Church, north side of Chicago. It is the uh, first Lutheran church in the city of Chicago and also historic in that the documents forming the Missouri Synod were actually signed at my congregation, previous building, way back before the Chicago fire, and I'm really enjoying, loving being at First St. Paul's in Chicago. That's awesome. So during your time then as campus pastor, over 21 years too, you you worked with a lot of students, a lot of students both forming for pastoral or other church work ministry, and also just as campus pastor, student body in general. So I imagine that's part of the fuel for what led you to write the book we're going to talk about. Talk a little bit about why why you wrote this book. Yeah, I loved my time working with college-age students at Concordia Chicago and many church professional students, of course, and that was a particular delight just to get to know those students, but then also students from all different backgrounds that are studying all different things and preparing for different types of careers. And, you know, our theology of vocation, which is a biblical teaching, but also I think one of the most important things when Martin Luther rediscovers the gospel, that's, of course, the most important thing. And, and of course, um, gets us back to the word and the translation of the word, making it accessible in different languages. But I think his his insights about vocation, or as we'll learn, vocations, is one of the top things in terms of his influence even in, in, in Western civilization. Mm-hmm. But my time at Concordia working with college students sort of got me thinking more and more about this topic. All right. So we're going to jump into some of the aspects of Callings for Life, which again, as you mentioned, is based on Luther's writing and thought about vocation or calling. And I really love the the way that, you know, you've brought this topic into the 21st century in some easily digestible, but yet profoundly complex things to think about and chew on here. So we've got five different aspects of uh, vocation or callings. So I'm just going to introduce, you know, what you say in these various things and ask you to unpack that a little bit. So first you say it's uh, callings, not calling. All right, our calling in life is better understood in the plural rather than the singular. Yeah, callings or vocations. I always like to put put an S at the end of that. You know, there's this myth out there, and it's, it's an exciting myth, and yeah, I call it the myth of the one great thing, and it sort of affects the not only just the world, but even many Christian circles. Um, many people, well-meaning, have this idea that, you know, there's this one great thing sent me from God, 
that I'm meant to do on this planet. And if I can only discern it, somehow pray about it, go to college and take a really inspiring class, you know, meet a really important professor or influential person in my life, and then I'm going to find it. And then I'm going to have full fulfillment, true fulfillment, because I've I found this one great thing that God has placed me on this earth to do. And so I, I like to encourage people when they think about what are they called to do or their vocation, I like to just say, let's put an S at the end of it. Okay. Vocations, callings. And that's what I mean by, you know, our calling in life is better understood in the plural rather than the singular. Right. So then how have you seen that the myth of the one great thing becomes problematical? Yeah. And I think this applies to, of course, uh, my time working with college students, but many other people, whatever their age or station or season in life, I talk about a couple things. I talk about neglect and regret. Neglect would be, well, hey, if there's only one really important thing that I'm meant to do on this earth, I can ignore all the other callings that I have in my life in pursuit of that. Everything else becomes less important or even distracting or almost even diabolical in a way that that pulls me away from that that one great thing. So the neglect would be like, you know, for example, um, you know, you can have maybe a college student that they're meant to do this important thing, such as, you know, maybe solve the AIDS crisis in Africa, but then they neglect their studies, their day-to-day studies, or their family, or their boyfriend or girlfriend, or even their prayer life, all in, in deference to this thing that they're supposed to do. So one would be neglect. We tend to neglect the little things around us That seem really unimportant. The other is regret. As you get a little bit older and you've done a few things in your life, but you look back and you think, maybe I missed it. Wait a minute, I just ended up being a mom. Quote, just a mom, as if that's not important. Or, you know, I I worked at this job and, you know, I made some money and took care of my family and, you know, lived a as a good neighbor and was a good, good son and good brother. And, uh, but, but I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And so you look back on your life with this regret that maybe I missed it. And there can be a lot of guilt associated with that. So then what you're saying is if you, if you think of calling in the plural, then like what's considered a calling? I tell people to look at the faces and the places and the spaces of their life faces, that is the people that you meet. When you wake up in the morning, there's a calling attached to the people in your own household, in your own bedroom. Each person that we encounter has a calling attached to them. So the faces, the places, where do you live, work, play, study? I'm at First St. Paul's Lutheran Church. (laughs) I uh, have seen a lot of people already today. Those people have a calling attached. This place has a calling attached to it. I'm on planet Earth. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a neighbor. I drive down the street. You know, all of those places have callings attached. And then I talk about the faces and the places and then the spaces. That is the, maybe the roles that I have in my life, whether I'm a manager or a, a student or a teammate or a coworker or a fellow teacher, all of those 
kind of roles and responsibilities that I have in life have callings attached to them. And of course, these three faces and places and spaces are kind of three overlapping circles. You know, you, they're all connected. But I just tell people, open up your eyes right. and look to the people that you meet, the places where you work, live, play, and study, and the spaces that you occupy. And all of those have a, a calling attached to them. That's Yeah. That's awesome. The next thing you talk about is presence. And the statement is, our calling in life is better understood in the present rather than the future. Yeah, this is a... This is a little, um, not, not really controversial, but it's, it's, I think, maybe provocative in a way. Because when you think about your calling, you know, you even probably even ask people that. What's your calling in life? Sure. And that sounds very important and it sounds very sacred even. You know, it's a kind of interesting way to talk about it. Um, you're usually thinking about what you're going to do in the future. That's certainly the case when you're in school. You're in high school or college and you think, you know, I don't think people ask maybe as crassly anymore, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, they might ask you that. But they, they say, what, what are you called to do? Right. And But you're, you're thinking one thing, and then you're thinking future tense. But when you think about the plurality of the things that God has placed in our lives, most of that stuff you have right now, most of the stuff that God asks you to do is happening right now in your life. So I'll challenge you about this. Give me a few callings that you have right now that aren't even anywhere in the future. Yeah. Right now I'm, I'm called to lead an organization and shepherd people then in that process. Called to be a husband to my wife. I'm a father to five young adults who are all very recently out of the nest. So then called to be a husband to a wife in an empty nest. Yeah. Yeah. In this community, I'm recognized as a pastor in this small town. Even though I don't pastor a church, I'm, it's uh, it was definitely eye-opening living in such a small town to know that no matter whether I know folks or not, they know me. <laughs> and uh, yeah. once I stood in that pulpit, so yeah, those are a few of the the callings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Rich. I mean, uh, I when when you think about the present tense, so most of the stuff's not going to change. Right now, I'm a brother and I'm a son, and again, I'm a citizen of planet Earth. I'm a member of a community. I'm a, I'm a child of God, the most important thing, right? And right. so we can be fixated on what is this one great thing in the future that we're supposed to be doing rather than saying, wait a minute, there's already things right now. Most of the stuff right now is already on happening and unfolding. And in order to kind of illustrate this, I, I talk about this um, ancient Roman god. I think the Greeks had a version as well. His name is Janus or Janus. Quick quiz, Rich, which month we name after this guy? Yeah, January. January, very good. Boy, you are yeah. really, really sharp. You must have gone to seminary. I got the book here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got the book, right? Yeah. Uh, Janus, uh, if your listeners can look this, uh, look this guy up, super popular uh, Roman god, but he's two-faced. He's looking backwards and forwards at the same time. And that's super useful for commerce right. and combat. Yep. He was the god of doorways, entrances, and exits, right? And then so obviously January, you kind of look at it back in the past and move forward in, in the future. But I use this as an illustration of the way that sometimes the past 
can be a false god, an idol, mm-hmm. when we overfocus upon it. And then sometimes the future can be as well. If we, we get too far ahead of ourselves, we're always thinking about this great thing I'm supposed to do down the line, and we forget that, hey, God's got something for me to do right now today. Yeah. Yeah. I, as you were saying it, and I was thinking <laughs> whether it's the right thought or not, it, it reminds me of, of the Star Wars movie, The Empire Strikes Back. One of the biggest criticisms Yoda has of Luke is, is this guy that's always got his mind somewhere else, never on where he is where he is at and what he's supposed to be doing now. And yeah. um, that, that the image of the, of Janus also that in that in between and transition space, like I think we can feel like a lot of our life is in that waiting space. And we are either looking forward to like something's better that's coming. And so I'm really looking and putting a lot into that or boy, it was sure was good before. And so I, I guess you're saying that, even if those things may be true, there's an important aspect of what's happening right now. Yes. And I, I, I thought, thought about that same Yoda quote, and yeah. we should be talking about the Bible, of course. Of but, course, yeah. Uh, but I, I thought that the uh, the rights to put it in the book would probably be too expensive. Yeah, so. sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and, and of course, we want people to do great things. And of course, every church and organization's got a plan for the future. And of course, when you raise your kids, you you know, you want them to hopefully you know, get get jobs and you know, do great things and make a, make a difference. And, and that is all true, but there can be the danger of neglecting and forgetting about the present tense callings. What has God given me to do today? As opposed to always looking ahead. Um, and sometimes the, uh, the God of the future is anxiety ridden too, yeah. because you can't control it. And you're always worrying about it and always thinking about it. So, yeah, I think it's a it's an important point. Um, you know, and Martin Luther, in his uh, when he talked about this theology vocation, you know, he said, I know how do how, what do you think you're not called? Remember that the late medieval world, the word vocation or vocatio was singular, and it was only applied to those who would be in professional church work, that is, priests and monks and nuns. Yeah, they're the only ones that had a calling. So Martin Luther takes this and applies it to, to the Christian life, and, and he even says, well, how, how can you say that you're not called? You feel like you're not called. Consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, a mother, a son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? Have you, you know, been obedient, unfaithful, or lazy? You know, have you hurt someone? Have you, you, know, have you stolen? You know, so just to take a look at what you're doing right now. And then he's got this great line about uh, saying, hey, if you had, you know, two heads and ten hands, uh, something like that, anyway, um, you wouldn't be able to keep up with all the stuff that you got to do just for today. Right. Yeah. And it's, of course, very biblical that the, the Christian is depicted in Scripture as now this person that's been redeemed by Christ walks in the, the way that he's called to, right? And that calling is to essentially serve other and to walk in, as Ephesians 2.10 says in various translations, but one of them is to God prepared works ahead for us to do that we should walk in them. Yeah. Yes. Present yeah. tense. Yeah. Yep. It's a yeah, present tense. Where am I, where, where's my road today? Who do I, what are the faces and the places and the spaces of my life today? Yep. And listening to you also, when I was thinking about the, you know, the God of the future, I guess, my normal thought is like, yeah, it's going to be so much better then. But I guess there's a lot of folks that are wrapped up and it's going to be a lot worse than we don't know what's going to happen then. And that can really be very distracting and lead us away from focusing on where God's got us right now. Yeah, the, the, the false God of the future, you know, and 
as we maybe will just remind people, Martin Luther's great definition of a false god is, you know, anything you fear to love and trust in above the one true God. And that can be the past or the future, even yeah. the present, too, yeah. of course. But but, yeah, you, you, you think about the uncertainty about it and could even cause you to the collapse into inactivity because I can't control it. And there's just so much. And, I, you know, so I, I'm just not going to do anything. And then it can also be this this thing that causes you to neglect what you have to do for today. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's an interesting way of looking at it. In what way is the past a false God that is maybe guilt and glorification, right? Yeah. Guilt would be, you know, you can't get past what you've done, even though you've been forgiven. Glorification would be, you know, always looking to the past about what we did then and how great it was. Yeah. And then the future, of course, is uh, the, the, both, both the anxiety and the collapsing into inactivity. Yeah. So then uh, all these things build on each other. The next section you talk about, uh, it's a great title, uh, Diapers and Sippy Cups. And the, the key thought, our calling in life is better understood in the ordinary rather than the dramatic. Yeah. Diapers and Sippy Cups. If there are um, any moms that are on the podcast, uh, I'm sure that there are. Yeah. They might be in the middle of this right now. If they've got young children at home. And this was really inspired by you know, Martin Luther's theology that that reminds us that we're more masks of God. That is, when you look at us serving or doing activities, it looks like us, but God is really behind it. I describe it also as the gloves of God. You know, it might be my hand helping somebody or changing a diaper, but it's really God is behind it. It looks like my hand, but God's behind it. And think about the ordinary rather than the dramatic. And of course, we want to do dramatic things. And we want to inspire our children and our young people and our congregations to think big, of course. You know, that's that's part of it. But we can be distracted by the dramatic and forget about that most of the stuff we're asked to do, not going to get a ribbon for it, not going to get an honorary doctorate. Oftentimes, nobody's going to even know. Right. And the, the little things of caring for children or being a good colleague or coworker or helping somebody out on the team or, you know, putting in a little extra time after practice or um, being kind to your neighbor, taking the garbage out for your neighbor. I mean, that's all very ordinary. That's where most of Christian life happens, right. honestly. And that's where Christ becomes alive by his spirit in us uh, for other people. And again, not that we don't want to do great things for God, but it is noteworthy when you take a look at many people that did great things. Hardly any of them started out planning just, to, you know, I, I think I'm going to do great things in my life. Well, right, yeah. Most people start out with the small stuff. And I talk about like sweating, sweating the small stuff. Right. They're being conscientious about the little things and let, let God worry about the dramatic. Yeah. You talk a little bit about some all-stars here in, in this chapter and how did they become all-stars, if you will? Yeah. Yeah. I uh, talk about a few different examples um, of the Lutheran all-stars. Luther himself, obviously world-changing, one of the most influential people in Western civilization, certainly the top two or three. Most historians would agree, even secular historians would agree. But he didn't, he didn't start out to change the world, uh, defy Christendom, defy papacy. He started out just studying the Word of God and trying to be a good monk, not being very good at being a, well, being really good at being a good monk, but being sort of captured by that guilt, 
Um, he just started out with a very simple thing is what does God's word say to me today? You know, another person that I, I talk about in this book, I talk about um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who again is a quite well-known Lutheran all-star. He was a theologian and pastor uh, in Nazi Germany and was one of the a few Lutheran pastors, sadly, and one of the few clergymen that really had the strength and the insight to resist Adolf Hitler, and very controversially, even joined eventually into the assassination attempt. But the, a great theologian, and, and uh, I consider him a martyr for the Christian faith, but he didn't start out one day this thinking, you know, I'm going to defy the Third Reich and Adolf Hitler. I, he started out being faithful in teaching the Word and studying the Word and helping Jewish people, you know, escape from from Germany. And I mean, it was very little stuff that he started out with, and then he ended up doing pretty dramatic things. And then we talk about Rosa Young. We've heard of Rosa Parks, who's the great civil rights leader. Rosa Young was a, a Lutheran teacher in rural Alabama who ends up founding dozens of schools and influencing thousands of people for education down in Selma, Alabama area. And she also didn't, didn't start out, wake up one day, think I'm going to be one of the most influential Lutherans ever in the state of Alabama. Uh, she just started out, here are these kids that need education. Yeah. I'm going to just start start with the small, small stuff. And then I, I also talk about another all-star, Gudima Tumsa from the Ethiopian Lutheran Church, the Makene Yesu Lutheran Church. Uh, he was a pastor and leader of the church when the the Marxists of Ethiopia were trying to take over church and usurp it for their ideological purposes. And he resisted that and was martyred for that, you know, very sadly and tragically. And his family also suffered much for that. Another example of he, he just started to be a, just a good pastor, helping people, yeah. teaching God's word. What do these people need? Who are the people right around me? The, the places, the spaces, and the places. I just take, use those ex- examples of people that did dramatic things. None of them started out thinking, I'm going to do this one great thing in my life. They all started out with the ordinary. Yeah. Yep. That's uh, a really great perspective uh, because ultimately at the, at the bottom of all of that is none of them thought, I want to be sure I do something dramatic. Just they responded to, this is the situation I'm in. This is who I am in Christ. And that's the love of Christ compels me to yes. act in these ways, to be this way, to say and do these things. And the Lord used yeah. that. But, and I, I love that this section is called Diapers and Sippy Cups. If uh, anybody has yourself been through that stage with children or help care for the children, uh, you know, to help someone, it's so, it just immediately when I, <laughs> I hear the thought, I think of being like tired, more tired than I've ever been in my life and feeling like this is the furthest thing away from something great and yet... Yeah, the Lord looks upon this stuff and says, that is great. I can remember reading the large catechism with uh, Luther, again, all drawn from from Scripture, but he really makes the point there in talking about the fourth commandment. Just if all we ever did was be sure that there was homes with families, that the parents honor each other, the children honor the parents, I mean, we would that would be a very great work and better than anything else that we could have ever imagined was a, a dramatically good calling. Yeah, I... I say that for for the Lord, the mundane matters. Yeah. Your mundane moments matter to God. Those, quote, ordinary things are often the most dramatic things we can do. And and they're sacred, too. Yeah. You know, they are, they are sacred. They're not 
disconnected from God. It's like, you know, I'm a pastor and I'm preaching and teaching and that's a sacred work. But all the other stuff isn't sacred. That's like more mundane thing. No, they're, they're sacred because they're done out of faith and response to God's love. And God is, you know, the almighty God's breath is active through us in those little things, day-to-day things. Yeah. So what looks ordinary in God's economy is actually quite dramatic. Amen. Yeah. All right, next section, God Loves Dirt, uh, where you say our calling in life is better understood as this worldly rather than otherworldly. So why is that so important? It, it sounds a little provocative, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, that you should think about this this worldly stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what I mean by that is when we want to serve God and love God and respond to the gospel in good works and sanctification, we don't exit away from this world. We enter back into it. Yeah. Our callings are found in this world. It's part of what the scriptures mean when it talks about that we are living sacrifices. Of course, we're, we're the sacrifices, unlike those of the Old Testament, which are consumed, whether they're burned or, or eaten or something. So we're, we're still alive, but it also means in life, that we are sacrifices that are, ha- are happening in life. You know, I, I entitle it God Loves Dirt because there's many movements— within Christianity and with outside of Christianity over the history of the church that have really emphasized that in order to get close to God, you've got to leave this world. Yeah. Ascend up higher to God. Don't be consumed with the muck and mire of this everyday existence. This stuff, you know, the physical life is bad. Uh, earthly life is bad. Farming and banking and children and families and being a soldier or being a garbage collector or, you know, practicing law, whatever it is that, like, you know, the the misunderstanding is in, in some Christian circles is that, well, that stuff's fine because can we need it to kind of survive? And we, we need people to grow food, right? Otherwise we'll die. Yeah. But it's not the real thing. The real thing is the, thing is the higher level spirituality. And you can see kind of that some of the difficulties of that would be, well, in um, the ancient world, when the, the early church, it's called Gnosticism. It's this idea that the world is inherently corrupt and sinful and lower than just by the fact that it's created. You know, just by the fact that it's made, it's less than. Yeah. And so you want to try to escape out of that and not get up closer to God. Or you can think of maybe um, um, uh, certain forms of medieval monasticism where, well, yeah, y'all peasants are are kind of doing okay, but we're doing the real work by escaping from the world and entering the monastic life. That's the real calling. That's the real vocation. And then there's, there's sort of contemporary forms of spiritual escapism, you know, like I've got to, and these things are all, can be good. Uh, going on a retreat is a good thing. And, sure. yeah. you know, taking some time off is very important. But that can almost become more important than just living life. And so so the idea here, God loves dirt, that is the creative world is also redeemed. The flesh is also redeemed, not just the spirit yeah. or the mind. Yeah, I can remember as a, now I'm a, my my family joined a Lutheran church and sent me to Lutheran school starting from when I was in fourth grade. And it was not very hard for me to get the idea and the message like, okay, I'm a sinful person and I've been forgiven through the blood of Jesus and I have peace with God. But there was a, a part of my life for quite a while that I was like, okay, so then 
what now, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, just at a certain point, you know, the light kind of clicking on that, I guess the, that, that is all very important. But if, if there is a rest of the story, the rest of the story is, uh, God says, okay, so we're fine. So go out and, and live your life in light of the fact that, Hey, we're good. And you have, uh, my abounding unending love uh, flowing within you to give to other people and to serve. And it's just in that normal everyday stuff that you do, that you're doing that. It's not, but it's also that you're just not kind of treading water waiting for, you know, death or something like that either. It's, I don't yeah, know. Right. Yeah. I, uh, one section of the book talks about the quest for the super spiritual Okay. being, being like God. And, you know, we have to, of course, we, we should be godly and godlike in terms of trying to follow his his law, especially the law of love. And in having been forgiven by God's grace, we want to think about how we can grow as Christians. So we should be like God in that sense. But you think back to the original temptation yeah. in the garden. Mm-hmm. What What is it? You shall be like God. Right. <laughs> you know, so instead of just being content to be a creature, you can, you know, you got to look for something super spiritual to be to be real, you know, the real Christian. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty again, provocative and makes you think. I think that the people I know that sometimes are kind of skeptical about Christianity or about Christians will say or point to what looks to them like the pursuit of things like this at the expense of caring for family and taking care of other things like that. So kind of the pie pie in the sky by and by, you know, that's, that's the, that's the Christian message is that, Hey, I've got heaven. It's all good. And yeah, now what? right. (laughs) Right. Some people might mistakenly spend their whole life trying to recapture that moment or become more and more spiritual, you know, and that sounds really good. And I know there's an understanding that is true scripturally, but you think about more and more spiritual. Is that really the goal? Or might we say, maybe I need to be more and more physical in a godly way, right? Maybe I need to hug more or you know, dig more or help people more or, you know, uh, enter. The whole idea is, is the response of the Christian life is to enter back into the world, not to escape from it. Yeah. And in like in our American society, I think the thing that people value and are looking for, they're not necessarily looking in the right places sometimes, but the thing that keeps getting brought up is we need people to be present and embodied and, and invested in now. And that speaks right into these callings that that come from God. Yeah, we also know that, you know, in the end, there's going to be a bodily resurrection. Yeah. So if physical is the problem, as yeah. opposed to the spiritual, then, well, why is God going to remake us physically? <laughs> so, yeah, it's just asking um, for trouble then. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. But of course, that's not the case. Yeah. They, he is going to remake us physically because it's all redeemed. And that's the, that's a major part of the point. And then uh, you say that our callings in life are better understood as God-given rather than self-chosen. So I'm imagining you've got a lot of experience and conversations that lead you to say that's an important aspect to bring out. Yeah, thinking about your your callings as God-given rather than self-chosen. I know we pick things, and and those things can be really important. You have to decide where you're going to live. Maybe if you're going to get married and who you're going to marry and are you going to have children and you might decide I'm going to go to law school or, uh, you know, I'm going to go into one of the trades. Uh, you decide which college you're going to go to. And those are important decisions. 
But I think along with this myth of this dramatic thing, which is future driven, it's also this, you've got to figure this out. Otherwise, you're really going to make God mad and you're going to really be an unhappy person, right? If you don't pick the right thing, you're going to be miserable. Yeah. yeah. And so think about the pressure on a young oh, person, yes, right? Yeah. Yeah. God's got this thing picked out. You need to somehow figure out what it is. If you're not just lined up perfectly with it, then you're always going to be struggling is kind of the, I've heard it expressed or, or seen it manifest that way of people just really questioning, like, I must not have quite got in tune with what God had planned out for me to do. That's a, that, that's a difficult thing. Yeah. And then it's either God's fault or your fault, you yeah. know, and I'm not sure which one's worth. I'm like, what is God doing? Why, well, why is he, why is he messing with me like that? Or man, I must be a lousy Christian or maybe didn't pray hard enough or maybe fast or choose the right Christian college to go to. But, and I know that we do, we do make choices and, yep. and they're important, and they're, yep. but when you think about it, most of the stuff you're asked to do, you didn't pick. And even the stuff you do pick usually changes. I mean, Rich, did you think, hey, I'd be doing a podcast with a you know, major Bible translation group when you were in college? Yeah, not at all. I, yeah. <laughs> no, none of this stuff and, even existed then. But yeah, anyways. <laughs> that's right, yeah. And, and so we can be fascinated and fixated upon these choices, which seem so huge and earth shaking and, yeah. and super spiritual rather than thinking about, well, what are the things that God has asked me to do that I didn't pick? Well, I didn't pick my siblings. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'd like to unpick them sometimes, but you know, I didn't, I, I know I love my, my siblings, but uh, you didn't pick your parents. Now, most of us don't pick our coworkers. When you're in seventh grade, did you get to decide who was in your class with you? Oof, not at all. That's a, a tough year, particularly actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, pick your 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 teachers. Um, yeah. Even then, when you think about church work, I mean, I, I don't pick my parishioners. Yeah, God gave them to me. God God gives us these things. Your neighbors. Think about your neighbors. Like, okay, you might decide which neighborhood you want to move into, and are you going to rent? Are you going to own a house? But I mean, most of that stuff, God God just gives you. And that that can also be some of the more difficult things in life. I use an example in my book about somebody caring for a dying spouse. Yeah. Did you decide that? Yeah. Did you pick like, okay, you know, when you're getting married, yeah. um, yeah. you know, uh, you make these vows. Yeah. 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 So no. most of the stuff you didn't, you didn't pick. And then, so the implication would be rich, you know, maybe just thinking out loud with you on that. Well, what are the implications if I start to think about callings, plural, that God gave me rather than I, I chose what comes to mind for you. Yeah. I think about, I spent some time early in my marriage sort of thinking, oh man, like there's some things going on here that I didn't choose that are really troubling and bothersome. And, and my wife would be okay with me saying that. And, you know, the just things with her mental health that became more apparent. And when I, I, I can remember a particular moment just realizing, hey, this is part of what God has called me to. I mean, as, as I didn't choose uh, this, uh, but this is a calling on my life. And you know, when to mm -hmm. reframe it that way and it came from God, if it came from God, then, yeah, it's, yeah. that just changes you, the you perspective. Think, yeah, yeah I, I think about, you know, that's, if 
the person in your life God gave you, people in your life God gave you, whether it's your spouse or your children. I mean, we choose to have children, but we don't pick our kids, really. Yeah, right. <laughs> but if you, if you think about those people that, that God gave you, whether it's your, your coworkers or your, your spouse, your children, your fellow members on the team, on the baseball team, yeah. God gave them to you, then they've got value. In fact, they've got infinite value. Right. And if God gave it these callings to you, he will also give you the strength to fulfill them. Yeah. If there's if there's stuff you chose, you picked. I mean, maybe you'll make it, maybe you won't. Yeah, that's um, that is God, so profound. I'm ahead. just thinking of all of the yeah, the the implications of that. If you you walk into your office or place of work. And if you look at all the people that are there and you think, Hey, these are the people God has put in my life. That's just going to change how you go about what you're doing, how you interact with folks, the level of patience and grace that you may need to give. Yeah. 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 yeah you think thinking about it in that way means that there, there's, there's some assurance and promise attached yeah. to those callings. Um, God's going to give you the strength to fulfill them. God's going to give you the grace when you fail you know, you're going to fail. We all fail. That's one of the, the kind of uh, things that, that we discovered when I was writing this book and I was working a lot with Concordia students, kind of workshopping it with them. And a couple of times people would come up to me and say, okay, wow, I've got callings. They're plural. They're happening right now. God gave them to me. Man, am I a screw up, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just failing at one great thing. Now I'm failing at like a hundred. <laughs> And so we, it takes us back to grace, you know, how, how important our baptismal waters are and how God forgives us, not just in the one thing, but in the many things. So there's God giving grace attached to them. And then if they're given to us by God, I, th- I think maybe we can also discover a joy in fulfilling them. Absolutely. It's not, it's not just something that we decided to do, but God gave us and he will, he will give us strength and grace to fulfill them and hopefully a sense of joy that as we we seek to be his hands and heart and feet to those around us. Yeah, so as we're releasing this podcast episode, the the first episode of 2024, really, you know, hoping to to have some reflective moments and think about as I enter into a new year, the what has been the future is now becoming the present, what's in the past is is now past. It's really great uh, perspective, I think, to frame out our callings. And again, just uh, covering what we've covered here, our callings are plural, more than one. They are uh, better understood as the present. They're happening now, and they are multiple. They are ordinary rather than dramatic. They happen in this world, very embodied, not looking for something in the future, and they're given by God. So as you think about you know, the, this moment, as our listeners are, are also thinking about, hey, I'm, I'm ready to step into what's next, and what's next is about to become now. now what, would you, what would you say? I would say in this new year, don't, don't seek out to do great things. Seek out to do little things greatly. Sweat the small stuff. Find meaning and purpose and joy in the everyday, ordinary things that God has given you to do this year. And the dramatic stuff will happen. Let him let him worry about the drama. I love it. All right. Thank you very much. We've been talking with Pastor Jeff Leininger and uh, talking about callings for life. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks. Happy to be here, Rich. So I've known 
Jeff for a number of years serving as the mission mobilization coordinator. I would get to visit Concordia University Chicago and see his enthusiasm working alongside the university students there as their campus pastor and being able to shepherd them and encourage them that their callings are multiple and that this this gift that we have been given from God that our our identity resting in him our callings are not limited to that one big thing there are many things that the lord uh, has planned for us and that we don't have to live in regret or the the what ifs it's just been really encouraging for him to to walk alongside the bible translation movement in that particular way yeah he's been a real great advocate for bible translation and you know the ideas that we talk about with how god's calling on your life are ultimately drawn from the bible and i, I just think it's a it's a really great opportunity as we move into a new year to reflect on uh, where we've been uh, where we're going as individuals as communities and recognize how god has put callings on our lives and the joy that's uh, part of that. So I guess like this is one of those strategic episode placements yeah. for for you as our listeners to think about, you know, there's so many times that a New Year's resolution is at hand right. with the new year, but just as an opportunity for you to to meditate on the ways that the Lord has called you, the many ways in your vocations as whether it's brother, sister, husband, wife, child, pastor, or teacher. There are so many callings that we all have. Uh, Some of them might not feel glamorous. It might be those moments when you throw up your hands and say, really, Lord, are you working through this? Absolutely, he is. And uh, to be enriched by that and to really lean into that, this 2024 and how the Lord is leading you. The book Callings for Life is available along with some great bonus content that helps you unpack it in small groups or Bible class at cph.org from Concordia Publishing House at cph.org. Or you can also find it on Amazon in paperback or the Kindle format. So we encourage you to pick up your copy of Callings for Life. Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. You can find past episodes of the podcast at lbt.org slash podcast or subscribe on Audible, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Lutheran Bible Translators' social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. The Essentially Translatable podcast is edited and produced by Audrey Sider. Our executive producer is Emily Wilson. Artwork designed by Sarah Rudowski. Music written and performed by Rob Veit. I'm Rich Rudowski. So long for now. Thank you.